And now, a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18. But with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Robertsfield Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 129. Welcome. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. It is here, the episode you have been so patient waiting for the review episode for the World of Myth issue number 95. But before we get into that, we have a couple things to go over. First and foremost, a little bit of housekeeping. And in that, we wanted to officially announce that American Zombie, a Rob Zombie cover band, will perform live at PCE Scare Fair in October. And I'm super stoked, unfortunately, getting the news. Um, has just constantly left me with a flow of Rob Zombie uh, and White Zombie tracks through my head for the past, like, week. So there is that little, uh, what do they call that, uh, brain worm, where you just can't not hear it. So super exciting. I know we are really putting talks forward in motion with the new director, Eddie Aguilar, going forward with... So many amazing ideas and plans, and I, for one, am so excited. My creativity bone is just itching. Um, we're going to start putting forward some designs and and really just creating a home for Scarefare, and I'm already feeling it. I am already in Halloween mode, so for the next uh, several months, <laughs> I'm there. I'm skipping summer. I'm going straight to fall. So moving on. Uh, David K. Montoya's book, The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, which we talked about, I talked about kind of at length last week, uh, is actually on its way to publication. 
to be released on the 26th of this month. And I'm very excited for you guys to, you've, you've read most of the story. Um, I'm very excited for you to read everything that hasn't been published on the world of myth and seeing my art, uh, hopefully depicting Dave's beautiful, beautiful story and doing it justice. And Myth Mart, which I have gotten a few little sneak peeks of, is also still in line for its June grand opening. And I think that is really it in terms of housekeeping. So as you can see, things are still progressing, still moving, and not to, I don't want to put anything out there, but I do also want to wish our head honcho, <laughs> Dave, um, a, a really good recovery and uh, we all we all very much love you, and I know everybody in this forum wishes you the absolute best. Two big things, again, I know you've been waiting for between the review and also an announcement regarding the open contract challenge. I feel like we need a WWE type of opening for that. Uh, <laughs> so we are here to be the first to announce the first two contestants moving forward out of a total of 10. So without further ado, first two announced contestants are as follows. We have Boriana Ananiva and Peggy Gerber. Congratulations. Huge, huge congratulations to you too. I'm very excited to see what comes forward or what we get uh, out of the rest of the challenge and uh, contest. And we will announce the next two next week. And I'm very, very excited. That'll wrap us up and lead us into a very clean segue. The world of myth. Issue number 95 and its amazing content. And we shall start our review in the land of Drabble and Flash, and our first story, The Time-Traveling Healer, episode one, by Jim Bates. So as always, Jim sets us up for a fascinating and unique, and what I can only presume will be just a beautifully haunting story. And already I'm engaged with who Maddie is and his role as to... Uh, who he is as a time-traveling healer <laughs> and what role the majestic unicorn will play during this pandemic that is spoken of. So I think it's it's a really cool and unique setup, especially doing it in Drabble and Flash, you know, to think of like parts in Drabble and Flash. So I'm super, super excited to see what more comes of it. So beautiful work, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. I believe in like the beginning of the story, he had spoke of the healer actually failing the first mission of um, containing or healing from the first virus, right? I wonder if that healer can actually open another time rip because he's the time traveler. Yeah. Right? So if he paradoxically went back and tried to heal the first mission because he had failed beforehand, you know, and then your mind starts traveling off into like a flash-like scenario, mm -hmm. right? So uh, excellent work on that one. Yeah. I think this one's going to be a really, really, really cool take on the subject of time traveling. And I trust Jim wholeheartedly with that notion. Oh, yeah. And next up, A Kingdom for Your Soul by Lynn Phillips. 
<laughs> my first note is talk about a hell of a side hustle. I loved the narrative and the message underlying in this piece. The notion of the, the I mean, like on a very like subtle level that all that glitters is not golden uh, and so many other metaphors. <laughs> so it's just a really dark and I wouldn't say grisly, but definitely like eerie. <laughs> uh, it's just a really interesting take on the subject of, of selling your soul for the promise of just a single moment's pleasure. And uh, I thought it was very interesting and unique and great work, Lynn. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely great work on that one. Um, it's a pretty clean little story about the, you know, as you said, the, the pressures of trading souls for earthly delights, almost like a, it's kind of like a King Midas feel a little bit. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yeah. Excellent work on that one. And next up, A Tiny Black Kitten by Gabriella Balcom. So one thing I'm kind of starting to notice about Gabriella and I, I because we're we're still essentially like really in the, the very infancy of our reviews um, is and so I don't know if you do this frequently, Gabriella, uh, but your submissions kind of come with themes and I'm here for it. So this month we have cats <laughs> and I love it. And I think it was fun to get to journey into this notion of a beast of a panther and I think this is how most cats would picture their their own like prowess and abilities when they start swatting <laughs> swatting swatting at things when they start swatting at things so again this this was just like a delightfully <laughs> gross little story and I very much enjoyed it seems like Dodge has a new Hellcat mascot excellent work on that and next up, Boxcar Dreams by Christopher Bice. Um, I mean this in the most complimentary way because if, I, and I'm sure I've talked about it at some point and you'll probably hear me talk about it many more times, uh, but this piece could so totally be a Tom Waits song. And I am 100% here for this tragic wonder. And Chris, Christopher, uh, always has a talent for delivering that kind of content. And this one just, just gave my heart like a little pause of absolute admiration. And it's just, I don't want to say it's, it's morbid, but it is. And it's just, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely a work of art. And Christopher Bice is just the king of that, you know, entire kind of narrative. So, uh, again, I would try to sell this to Tom Waits if you could because I could so fathom this if you weren't uh retired <sighs> and he made more music um, but yeah so I I love this one yeah yeah that was a clean cool little story you know great imagery sweet little ending you know well done on that and next up the shade of the old oak tree by James Rumpel uh dang John <laughs> you cold-hearted weenie. Uh, what's that old oak doing for you, is what I want to know. Uh, this was great. I just really like the the moroseness and the macabre whisper that I think everyone can appreciate. And so I thought it was just a terrifyingly little spooky tale from James. Oh, yeah, definitely. Seems like the disciple strikes back on that one. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, excellent work on it. And next up, we have Spring by Miss Stephanie J. Bardi. 
I don't know why I always put like an Irish inflection when I say Barty. <laughs> but yeah, Which this one's that way. Bar- Barty. <laughs> that was more Italian. Sorry, Stephanie. Okay. Spring by Stephanie J. Barty. Uh, so yeah, this one was, I think, a beautiful, albeit very sad, uh, uh, song to sing of spring, especially the realities of spring in specific parts of the world. And uh, the fact that you only get this this glimpse of it as opposed to to the actual appreciation of it. And uh, like here in the desert, it is already uh, almost triple digits. So that's fun. <laughs> so I would take a little bit of snow right now. But I also say that living in the desert, I'm sure Stephanie wrote this one because she wants actual spring. And yeah. Anyway, point is this piece definitely... Uh, uh, hit home in the desire of experiencing spring. And I'm sure there are many metaphors within it. Yeah, definitely a nice little wrapped up summary of the crazy weather we've been having this year. Huh? Excellent work on that. And next up, With Power by David K. Montoya. Um, and you know, on the surface, yes, awful, selfish, curse you, Harve. But like, Look at someone like Bruce Wayne. Uh, and let's be honest, capitalism runs this world, so billions of dollars. Should the character of Harv want, uh, could actually do, like, a lot of saving, you know? <laughs> uh, considering every problem we're experiencing is 100% man-made. And, uh, I just think it's all about perspective. That being said, <laughs> I do not think that is the direction Harv is headed in and that really sucks. But regarding the story itself, <laughs> absolutely wonderful concept and delivery. Absolutely delightful. Wonderful work, Dave. Absolutely. Um, now, if money's power, so that kid now has double the power. That yeah. He so I think he can help a lot of people with extra money and the abilities. Excellent work on that. And now we will step tiptoe over to fantasy and I did something that's probably really annoying, but I combined my commentary for the first two because it's a part one and a part two. So it's Petra's Tale, part one, and part two by Timothy Law. So I combined my thoughts because I was a- I really liked that I was able to read it all, like two whole parts back to back um, to get way more context than we usually do every issue. So that was kind of nice. Um, I always enjoy reading Timothy's work, and I think I think it was last month I said it, but he's so talented at presenting work that is not only meticulously edited and thoughtful, but it's just so clean. And with Petra's tale, we get the same clean display of of Tim's work, and it's absolutely rewarding for me. It just it's not it's not distracting. Sometimes when something isn't like thoroughly edited, it can be a little distracting. And with Tim's work, these subjects he's presenting when they are so well edited and thought out, you want to put all of your energy into the story and not wait. What is that word supposed to? You know, like it, it's. It can be distracting, and Tim's work never, never becomes distracting in that regard, and I love it. And I won't lie, I was initially a little skeptical of the story, um, 
kind of bracing myself for the expected turn of something having to do with how it was now Petra's responsibility to become Derek's, like, therapist and she's gonna save him and all of this. But then it twisted unexpectedly. And I am so eager to see where her story leads and what more the series has to offer. And I think it was a great setup and introduction to this beautiful world. And again, I'm, I'm super excited for more. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was an interesting little world he creates there. Um, tossing a little magic. Throw some fight scenes in there. Get yourself a little, little gumbo. Thank you very much, sir. Next up, we have The Cotswold Witches, Part 2 by Steve Carr. And I thought it was a beautiful ending. Just, just really pleasant to me. And like I said with the first part, I think this is a story that would benefit from being spread out. That's because there's so much lore presented and, you know, it's, it's underneath, it's, it's layered there. And I feel like this is a, it just would benefit, the story would benefit so much from like really just digging into that lore. And so I would love to see it all like really just, just hammered out and detailed and really, really just given a massive like shape and treatment. Uh, but it works as a great uh, short story too. I'm not knocking it for that or anything. I just love the, what I'm assuming is the conclusion, but I'm going to reiterate until I'm blue in the face. Steve, if you get the urge to make this into a bigger story, you've got your biggest advocate right here, so. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy that story. One of the only things I have kind of iffy about is when you have one character who is created at the end of it and it is found out and they're deemed so powerful they're able to wipe out everybody else around them right um especially uh, like with this one the elven character was able to pretty much decimate the entire coven around him and uh i mean i understand like elven the elven race is like the ancient power right and and they they're of the oldest beings, but um, normally it it's kind of like I don't know you know because when you have the character that is is so powerful without him actually realizing it, and it's like I don't know about that because it kind of throws out training and you know everything out the window, you know. And I think that's what I mean when I say like this could could usually like this story could really use that deep dive into the lore behind everything because you know you, when you, and that's that's my problem writing I think, yeah, I think fantasy in a yeah. short you know text because when you're writing fantasy you are presenting an like just an entirely new world where anything is possible and of course like you know if you're a nerd like me you you want it all you want to know everything about it you know imagine lord of the rings being a short story it would be impossible <laughs> you and that's because lord of the rings is made up of so much of that lore you know um, i think that's what would help more so is by building building his character or like explaining that way and i think that's where like prequels and and everything come into play when they create these characters kind of like uh Darth Vader for mm -hmm. one kind of like when he first came on the scene he was like super powerful and then they went back and explained humanized him and, and explained why he's so powerful because he went through all these years of Darth training and when when and you know 
Real uh, nerd talk right here. <laughs> excellent work on that. <laughs> All right. So next up we have A Ranger's Tale Part 5 by Jeff R. Young. While Draven obviously has a sense of humor, this chapter was a departure from the, like, soberity of the other chapters. And I absolutely loved it. I knew something was up with those mushrooms. And lo and behold, here we are. So now hopefully he'll recall that information after he wakes up again. But seriously, this chapter was just funny and silly. I cackled numerous times while reading it. And to me, that makes it super successful for me, you know, is when it really just kind of delivers those that that effort of of humor and so i just absolutely love this piece and i think it's an excellent setup for the next part and i love this series and so as usual terrific work jeff yes sir draven found himself a date with alice uh you know i was listening to jefferson airplane too <laughs> earlier today so i'm like oh yeah and then i came across this one on my notes i'm like oh yes sir <laughs> can relate yeah, <laughs> eating mystical mushrooms in a in, in a, a cave with den. some dire wolves. <laughs> it's a Friday night right there. <laughs> Excellent work on that, sir. All right, guys. And since October has come early for Jenna, I am going to grab Dawn's hand and we are going to walk into horror and talk about Abducted by Dawn DeBrawl. That's why I'm holding her hand in that explanation. Okay, so, <laughs> oh dang, Dawn, uh, handing us a little dish of some delectable, delectable sci-fi, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I really like what's presented is is kind of this like inception, what's real or not aspect, because we could easily take the face value of what what's presented, but there's still that chance that. All is not what it seems. And again, I love when we see Dawn shift her narratives and themes. So this took quite the turn from what we typically see from her. And I, I totally love that and respect it. And I'm, you know, admittedly, and it's probably not great for me to announce it, but I really am like one of Dawn's biggest fans. So I love to see where she kind of plays and gives herself that freedom. So... Great work, Don. If you think those parents could trade it, do you think they would spend the time raising the alien child or take the child abduction charges? You know what's interesting? Okay, so there was an episode of The Resident. and Yeah, it was The Resident, um, which is one of, like, three medical shows that I watch. And this couple had actually adopted this young girl from... China and they found out she was really sick and they were they ultimately decided they couldn't care for her because she was so sick and so they relinquished her and it reminded me of the story because yeah like what if they just did that like could they have just said that like no we relinquished her <laughs> to her real parents in the story in Dawn's story not in the show yeah because I got like real vivarium vibes on this oh story. yeah yeah because I was like I was kind of like oh you know kind of a little don't want to compare it though excellent work on that <laughs> and now we will walk over to I don't know why I'm moving with all of these we will jump into that makes more sense we will jump into action and suspense and our first story is The Devil Made Me Do It, Part 2, 
by Sean Klemek. Uh, wowza. <laughs> that was intense. It was definitely an interesting concept, and I don't know if it's the final part, uh, but one note is we were offered, like, so much exploration into the whys of Jaden's willingness to be a mass shooter, but when it comes to the actual devil, uh, and I... I get it. You know, it's it's in the title and everything. It's laid out. It just, I don't know, like, it didn't land right. And I don't know why. Was it just me? I think what it was was that the true predator or proprietor, I'm not sure how you want to use that slab, I feel that if you, it, it's this thing, kind of like if you make the, I guess you can call her the villain in this case, um, the villain so maniacal beyond their means of comprehension then you have the quote-unquote hero who gives the remember me type of jab almost in this case it was the pencil in her eyeball right? yeah um, the story was uh, you know very well written and I really enjoyed the first part and couldn't wait for the second part and it was really uh, enjoyable the second part I think what just didn't hit was that play with the true villain yeah right and i think that's all it was because yeah there's nothing like like bad or poorly executed it's just like i said it didn't like it didn't hit me in the gut you know um i think it's because also the context of the story like the setup um if you have a setup in the the way of the story is supposed to unravel and then it really doesn't exactly unravel in, in its intended direction it can also be a um, like throw you off your track too yeah you know? excellent work on that oh yeah gorgeous work i mean ultimately at the end of the day it was still an amazing story um and you're hands down an amazingly talented writer so so our first story is the finality of spring dawn by timothy law and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this piece. It was eerie and fascinating and short and sweet and conveyed all the devastation at the loss of our protagonist based off of a miscalculated fear. And I love ideas like that, especially after watching Westworld, where it was a kind of a similar case with, with Dolores. Um, no one could understand her goal and thought she was the threat when actually you know so yeah this one was just a really really great cool piece by timothy excellent work on that sir so moving on to mission orion by gabriella balcom uh if you told me tomorrow that every cat is an alien on a mission for global domination i wouldn't even hesitate to believe you I really, really uh, appreciate and enjoyed the elevation in Gabriella's writing in this piece. It was just a delightful story and written and edited so well. It was funny and silly, and I really enjoy seeing this venture into sci-fi. I'm just kind of head over heels for this piece, so great, great work, Gabriella. Absolutely. This clean little piece right there about the aliens kind of reminds me of that little pug. And Men in Black, remember? <laughs> Excellent work on that. And moving on to The Last of Its Kind by James Rumpel. Uh, James, oh my God, James. That was how my notes started. <laughs> there was this instant magnetism 
to the story that immediately took me captive, and I am so okay with that. This piece was just so, so good. Like, it just easily is one of my favorite stories to date. Like, it's just so good. I love the design of the qual. I love the lament of their plight, the repugnance of the antagonism or the antagonist, uh, and just the the flavor of the story that brought brought it to life in such a beautiful way. And of course, the message behind it. That last sentence was just the icing on the cake for me. It was just so, so good. Uh, I love it. Nothing nothing more than that. I just love it. And as always, I am eager to read what James submits. So I just, I can't sing its praises high enough. Such a good, amazing story. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty nice little clean story about the uh, horrors of poaching. Especially this one, it was like a, a space poaching mm-hmm. type of story. It was really, uh, really well thought out. Really and James it. is just so good at sci-fi. And like yeah. n- the way that... You know, uh, we see the uh, uh, creation of fantastical worlds. It's the same thought into sci-fi where you really have to establish these worlds. And, of course, the differences, you know, of course, fantasy is a lot of common sense, but a lot of sci-fi is a lot of fact, you know. (laughs) So it just, and and James always presents these, like, super easy-to-believe factions of what to expect come the future and i don't know i just i love this story so much i'm sorry i can't stall (laughs) absolutely excellent work on that sir all right and finally we go over to humor and our story be careful what you wish for by stephanie j Barty. Uh, Well, if this isn't anti-compost propaganda at its finest (laughs) I kid, of course. I thought this was an absolutely devastating story, though, like, because I do have a deadly thumb, uh, not fit for sustaining any kind of green life, so now I'm just, like, wrought with guilt. Also why I hate getting flowers, uh, because I know I'll have to eventually toss them, and I always apologize to the remains. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) besides my guilt... Uh, It was a truly entertaining story and, as always, magnificently written and delivered. So while it wounded me and made me feel very brutalized (laughs) in my uh, maiming of greenery, it was also a great story. So excellent work, Steph. Absolutely. This is the beauty of uh, this story is the cycle of that plant because now that plant is going to be of the greatest life force for all other plants. Yeah. Excellent work on that. Thank you very much. All right. And here we go on to poetry. So our first piece is The Collector by Christopher Bice. What's funny is, and this is just pure coincidence, I had written a story a few years ago also about collectors, and it was kind of similar, but Christopher Bice, you took it so dark and so melodic as you always do and it just my brain like had a hard time though like I had to reread it because I was like wait does is he did he read like the story that I wrote like no you did not it like I said pure coincidence but it was funny because I had to recalibrate my brain from the the lore from my story to the the lore you'd created um 
But yeah, it was gorgeous, beautiful, uh, dark, gothic, and macabre that oozes this haunting lament. And I absolutely loved it. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. That was deliciously dark there, Chris. Another excellent poem. Thank you very much. And our next piece, Caterpillar Explains 2020 to Alice While in Wonderland by Linda Imbler. Um, Linda has this way of, of social commentary that I think is absolutely beautiful and super, super unique. Again, this was just another really spectacular piece on the narrative of society, especially 2020, which was uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot. So yeah, excellent work as usual, Linda. Uh, thank you very much. The next one, Cowboys and Indians by Anne-Christine Tabaka. Yeah, this one, oh my god, it was breathtaking. Uh, this is the the strength and power of art, using it to educate and understand. And your words are just perfection. I cannot praise this piece enough. Uh, it's just absolutely beautiful and magnificent and such a powerful way to use your voice to speak up for injustices and how sugar-coated they were uh, presented through textbooks. And I just, I love this piece. Love, love, love it. Thank you so, so much. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Excellent work on that one. Isn't it weird, too? Like, if you really think back on it, like, pretty much all of human history is made up of others taking advantage of others. Crazy. Yep. <laughs> and making it look like it was for the benefit of the... Uh, minorities. Excellent work on that. <laughs> Next up, we have Family Feud by Michael Lee Johnson. I think Michael is so talented at kind of breathing life into subjects that we tend to not, you know, uh, discuss in a healthy manner, <laughs> you know. But you think <laughs> of it, hands down. And I think this one is is an excellent take on wars that can be waged within a household. Um, of course, he puts it far more eloquently and far more majestically and beautifully than I ever could uh, in trying to talk of it. <laughs> so yeah, it's just absolutely stunning as per usual. Yeah, this is a sweet little beautiful poem. Family matters are indeed grueling. Thank you very much, sir. And next up, we have Radiance of Mortality by Ken Allen Dronsfield. Uh, yeah, this one kind of messed me up a little. <laughs> and in a good way. In a good way. Uh, it just, it, it, it left me with just a bit of a, a, like, a pause. Like, exactly like I'm trying to explain it right now where I'm just like, that hurt. You know, like, emotionally, it, it just was so dark and and grisly but in such a magnificent like just a very eloquent take on something so ugly i i just i don't know i like i said this one kind of left me speechless in that regard this one was a, another deliciously dark poem on the slab this week beautiful imagery for this one well done sir and our final poem a man beside his dog by jeff r young so thank you, Jeff, for waking up that day and specifically thinking, I so look forward 
to making Jenna Sparks cry. Um, <laughs> no. I, this one, yeah, I, I cried like a baby reading this one. Joe predicted it uh, and made fun of me. <laughs> I love my dogs more than anything. So this really just hit me like a sack of bricks, you know, absolutely beautiful and magnificent. And again, um, thank you for the tears. Just, yeah, I am hurting. But again, I love my dogs more than anything. So absolutely great work. You said it all. Excellent work, <laughs> sir. And now we take our journey into the realm of art. And our first piece is The Lazy Day by Zoe M. Montoya. And I actually got to tell Zoe what I thought um, up close and personal. So this isn't going to be a surprise for you. Uh, but yeah, this this palette for this piece, it just sinks to my soul of comfort and peace. <laughs> I love me some Kawaii Shibas. And this is just the cutest. Message of this piece was very well received and clear, simply adorably lazy and cuddly and so dang cute. And I, uh, as I told Zoe the other day, I truly genuinely think you are going to, I mean, just continue to do amazing, amazing pieces. I know how hard it is to do digital. And I say that all the time, I think. Uh, <laughs> and to see how like fast well, for the audience, it seems fast. I'm sure for you, it's very tedious and a lot of work. But for us watching you do it, it's it's an absolute delight. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Uh, you said it all, man. Excellent work on that. Uh, great coloring, as usual. And she definitely has a long journey mm -hmm. ahead. Uh, long, exciting, great journey. Yep. Thank you very much. And next up, Tech Savvy by Vincent May. Um, my my note starts screaming, she is so cute. While I adore everything conceptually about this one, I love this face. Uh, she is just a dream. Absolutely gorgeous. Every choice in the ink work is just beautiful. From the costume design to the hair, just everything is gorgeous. And I do... So respect and appreciate how smart uh, Vincent's ink and line work is. It's just great, great, stunning work. Well, absolutely. It's another great cybernetic treat by Vince right there. Thank you very much, sir, for contributing. And next up, Dragon Ball by Sirius Small. Uh, Joe is the one who is going to do the best reviewing of this piece because he is far more educated on Dragon Ball than I am. <laughs> but I do absolutely love the cleanliness of this piece. And I think I told Zoe a few weeks back, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I think I said it at some point, <laughs> um, how the most simple designs are actually the hardest to execute uh, because of the cleanliness. So for that reason, I know Sirius did a phenomenal job. It is just clean and crisp and amazing. Absolutely. You could get a little job right there as, as an animator on that show if they still do it. I'm not quite sure, actually. I don't have the... It's been a minute. <laughs> I don't have the grasp of knowledge that you claim, although it is excellent. Excellent work, sir. And the next piece, Robot Pulp by Ed Bickford. So to circle this around and make it about myself. So I am apprenticing as a framer at the moment. 
And a few days ago, I was at the shop and I was admiring a few pieces we were we were working at, um, working on. They were a doozy, but uh, they were old ads for a few local events for Roy Rogers, who was a film star, cowboy thing, uh, and basically our claim to fame here where we live. Uh, anyway, so they were done in ninety eight and ninety nine for again, these, these events, but the artist had this, uh, the style, um, of like the 1940s film posters. And, you know, it's, it's when you get to see them up close and personal, it's just so, so astonishing to see that, that same, that same style utilized because it, it's a great style and it's beautiful. And I think like Ed, uses that's not the same but similar use of of color and shape and everything to that uh callback of you know early comics it just it's so endearing and absolutely stunning and not only in in you know the capture of the scene and the movement and everything but capturing just that that art in that time it just it it works and it's so beautiful and I absolutely love all of Ed's pieces and I don't think he would ever present something that's not just like this whole story and it's absolutely stunning from top to bottom in every regard just beautiful. Absolutely. Uh excellent work on here by Ed. He uh always delivers great uh, work. You know, this can definitely be like a poster quality print right there. You put that baby up and off you goes. Mhm. Yeah, no, stunning, stunning, stunning. Thank you very much, sir. All right. And finally, we have Bottled Up Composure by Talia McMullen. Uh, so I have to get on my soapbox again, I'm sorry, about the palettes and just applaud Talia's palette in this piece. Uh, and again, you know, the simplicity of a design only showcases the complexity to it. And this one is just a, a beautiful example. And it's just stunning. And my favorite, my favorite, favorite part of this piece is the, the thoughtfulness behind the milky eye it just gives the audience like all they need to to see the life in this profile and it's just beautiful oh yeah i definitely enjoy that contrast and i, I really enjoy the brush strokes presented in this piece mm -hmm. thank you very much finally that's going to bring us into the reviews section uh, first we have the myth master podcast in this episode, he actually tells more dead time stories, except this time they're from the magazine themselves. So if you're interested with a rundown memory lane, go ahead and give that a listen. After that, we have the review of the TV show Paradise City by our own Jenna Sparks. But... For this one, I'm not sure why she did not include the three to four paragraphs of Bella Thorne's character, Lily, of how she has taken over the base. Thank you very much. Would you care to explain? <laughs> uh, I am still dealing with a few other things that occurred in the show, like uh, the line of Andy Black admiring feet. <laughs> uh, so that's still kind of haunting me. I actually, no, I was genuinely pleasantly surprised. Like, I really can't say I've ever really seen Bella Thorne in anything. And so I wasn't super excited about her taking over the role just because 
I was a little unfamiliar. But she actually did really good. And I really like uh, how they they wrote this character. So Yeah, I really liked her character on there. Also, I really, my favorite character was the uh, studio producer in Louisiana. <laughs> All righty. After that. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. No. You're welcome. <laughs> now, um, after uh, after Jenna's review, we have the book review of The Art of Language Invention by David J. Peterson, uh, reviewed by Michael A. Arnold. This is an interesting perspective and history lesson on language from the guy that brought you Elvin from Lord of the Rings. You know that uh, author, how he forms new languages together? You hear about him? He, like, wrote... Oh, yeah. The language. That's the guy who... Ah, uh, that's that guy. Oh. So, go give that a look-see. Thank you very much, Michael. After that, we got our video game review of Dragon Age Inquisition by Jeff R. Young. Jeff gives us the rundown of the latest installment of Dragon Age. I really enjoyed the Dragon Age games myself when I used to pick up the old controller. So thank you for that rundown memory lane there, Jeff. After that, we have the art review of Lionel Noel Royer's Versingatorix. Throws down his arms at the feet of Julius Caesar by Michael A. Arnold. As in tradition, Michael gives us the lowdown on the history of this beautiful piece. Kind of odd how Caesar does not have his armor visible underneath that cloak. I found that interesting. Thank you very much, Michael. And finally, that's actually going to take us to the board minutes. Also, afterwards, from two meetings ago, I believe it was, when I had jumped on ship. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to go and see what we get, uh, what we discuss within the board meetings, go ahead. And Stephanie has the minutes laid out perfectly. Thank you very much, everybody. Issue number 95. Issue n number 95. I wonder what we're going to do for issue 100. It's not that long away. It's going to be exciting. When does issue 100 come out? In five months. What's five months from now? Five months. Issue 100 will be coming out in October. That means we get the 100th issue for Halloween. What? Oh, sign me up. Speculative. Speculated. <laughs> okay, yeah, it just, it seems like it would fall in the same. Yeah, in October. Theoretically, of course. And if that's the case, I am happy as a clam. Absolutely. And once again, thank you everybody for submitting. All these stories were excellent. Beautiful work, as always. Um, it, again, I know we say it like every review episode, but there there is really nothing better than getting to review just phenomenal pieces and, um, it makes our lives so much more enriched when we get to read terrific work by all of you. So thank you and thank you for letting us sit here and talk about it and pick it apart and discuss it. And uh, hopefully it, it somehow enriches your lives as well. <laughs> In the meantime, from now until the 100th issue, <laughs> you can find us at www dot the world of myth dot com on Facebook and the Twitter at the world of myth bits podcast and the world of myth magazine and on Instagram at the world of myth bits. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
Creepy paper. Ooh, multi-pack. <laughs> <laughs>